Well, hey, everybody. It is good to see you today. It's good to be with you here in the room if you're hanging out with me. It's great to see you online if you're watching from home or if you're listening or watching later. It's great to see you as well. My name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Family, and it's great to be with you. It's great to continue our series, and it's great to kind of turn our attention uh, towards the story of Easter. We started doing that last week, and we're going to continue to walk through that today. A couple of things before I get started, just to let you know. First of all, if you would like to follow along with today's conversation, you can do so on our website. If you go to mygracefamily.church, you'll find a follow along tab. If you click there, you'll get all the notes for today, you'll get all the verses for today, and you can actually send your notes to yourself. So if there's something you think of while you're listening or you want to jot that down, you can do that. Email it to yourself right from the site. The other thing we added this week, and we're kind of figuring out what we're going to do with it, is we added a spot for you to ask a question. And so if you would like to ask a question about the passage we're talking about, about the conversation we have, there's a spot there for you to simply just submit that question to us. And one of us, either myself or Pastor Andrew, will get back to you. And we're thinking about some ways that we can kind of incorporate that so you guys get to have a little bit more of an interaction. And even if you're at home or listening later, you can do the same thing. So just have know that's an opportunity. If you have a question, we would love to kind of have a conversation with you about that and talk to you about the questions that you have. The other thing is we are really excited, like I said, to start thinking about Easter. And so some of that means that we're hoping, right, weather's getting better, things are going along with immunizations and things like that. We're hoping to see more people and to see more people face to face. And so some of that means we need some of our teams to kind of come back into place. And so if you haven't been serving over the past year, totally understandable. But if you are ready to come back, you're comfortable to come back, we would love to have you. Or if you haven't decided to serve yet, we would love to add you to a team. So you can also go to our website, go to the Next Steps card, you can register for a team. But we're super excited about what might happen at Easter, and we would love to be able to welcome people as they come back, and maybe even some new faces, right? Be able to welcome them, smiling faces, and help them get to know Jesus a little bit better and become part of our church family. So we would love for you to do that uh, if you haven't Alrighty. All right. Enough commercials. Let's dive into the conversation. All right. We are in Matthew chapter 26 and we started this conversation last week and we called it Jesus instead of me. And the reason we're walking through this is we're kind of going through the last couple of days of Jesus life before he died. Now he came back to life and lived on earth for a few months after that. But we have this story, right, that many of us know and many of us have heard, even if not, you're not a follower of Jesus, and we hear about Jesus in these different times, and as he walks to the cross in his last few days on earth before he died, and sometimes I think it's difficult for us, and I would say this to my students when I was teaching as well, is that sometimes we can read a story in scripture, we can hear it, and we think of it as simply kind of like just ink on a page, right? It, it doesn't necessarily feel different than another book or another story you've read. But what we know to be true is that this isn't a story someone made up. This isn't a story that someone kind of just came up with off the top of their head. There was more to this than what we see. There was context. There was other people. There were surroundings. There were different interactions that happened. There were feelings and emotions and interactions that all went along with this story. And so what we're doing is we're looking at the last part of Jesus' Jesus's time before he was crucified and really digging into what was going on in his life at that time and understanding what we can learn from him and his emotions and his feelings and what he's walking through and also from the emotions and feelings and actions of others. And so last week we had a conversation about Judas and Mary 
and the way that they both valued Jesus very differently. Mary was willing to give over basically her life insurance, her bank account, and just say, this is all yours. If you want to hear that conversation, you can go back last week, back to last week. And if we look at Judas, he only valued Jesus really in the end for $200. He was willing to sell Jesus out. And we looked at the comparison and contrasting of what we can learn from those two stories. And so we're going to continue to walk through that today, and we're going to pick up the story just a little bit after where we were last week. So in Matthew chapter 26, we're going to start in verse 36. It says this, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. So let's just pause here for a minute. We left off last week. The disciples and Jesus had their last supper together. And they kind of had a conversation, and Jesus tells them that one of them's going to betray him. They go around in a circle and say, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And Judas gets to his turn, and Jesus says, yep, it's you. And Judas leaves, and Jesus spends a little bit more time where with the other 11. And then he leaves the place where they had the meal, and they go to this garden. And it says he takes Peter and James and John. Peter, James, and John were his three closest friends. They were three of the 12 disciples, but they were the closest knit to Jesus. And so they go to this garden, and, and Jesus had done this before. He would go and he would take time. He would go to a garden. He would go to a quiet place, and he would do this when he needed to spend time with his father, and he needed to kind of like recharge and, and get back to what he was supposed to be thinking about and kind of refocus. And so he goes to do this, and he takes his three friends with him. We'll pick up the story now in, in verse 38. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed down his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Then he returned to them again. He found them sleeping, for they could not keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and get your sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Now, I don't know if maybe this was daylight savings time for the disciples, and that's why they couldn't stay awake, right? They lost an hour at this point. But they cannot stay awake while Jesus is going to pray. And there's a huge difference in who we see, how we see Jesus reacting and interacting at this point. In fact, I would say that we've never seen Jesus this way before. Jesus was typically a pretty calm, cool, and collected guy. He always had an answer. He always was able to respond to controversy, right? He would have the Pharisees come to him, and they would ask him questions just to trip him up. And they would come to him and try and get him, and he would have this great response and kind of put them in their place. He, was always, he always had an answer. There was even times where people wanted to kill him before this. And Jesus was able to get out of that situation. He was able to navigate all of these difficult circumstances. And yet, when we get to this point, things are very different. And normally when you see somebody 
well, sometimes when we see somebody and they're going to die for a cause, they kind of do it with like a, their fist in the air and kind of like sticking it to the man, right? Like think Braveheart, right? He was fighting for this whole thing and he's getting around and he was willing all the time to, to give his life. And to the last minute of his life, he's screaming freedom, right? He was, he was set in his ways and he was going to do it. And he was as brave as could possibly be. And there are Christian stories like this too. In fact, there was a man named Polycarp who was a student of the apostle John. And so John, who's literally here with Jesus in the garden, taught Polycarp. Polycarp, when he was 86, was arrested for being a Christian. And they were going to burn him at the stake. And so as they're taking him, they ask him if he's got any last words. And they tie him to the stake and they get ready to set the fire. And now I'm I'm paraphrasing because I can't say it as well as him. But he basically says, I don't fear this fire. He says, this fire is going to burn for a little while, and then it's going to go out. He says, I fear and you fear. He's saying this to everyone who's watching, the fires of hell that never go out. Okay? And then he looks at the guys that are going to light it, and he says, come on, boys, bring the fire. Those were his last words. Like, those are some pretty sweet last words, right? I mean, he, I mean, he was going to die, but he was ready for it. And even Polycarp had this audacity, right, to just die no matter what, and he didn't care. Jesus isn't that way in this passage. He's distraught. He's upset. He's clearly worn down. And so even in verse 38, he says this, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And what we recognize in this passage is actually that Jesus is physically ill because of his emotional state. One of the other gospel writers is Luke. So we get, again, just like last week, we had multiple accounts of the stories that are happening. The same thing happens with this story. And Luke was a doctor. So when Luke is writing about Jesus, he was super interested in the fact that Jesus was a man who was also God. And so he would focus in on the physical attributes of how Jesus interacted. And one of the things that he says is that in this time, Jesus actually was sweating drops of blood. Now, we know this today to be a condition called hematidrosis. And what what happens with this condition is you are in such anguish and so frustrated and you're exerting so much energy that the capillaries in your sweat glands actually just burst and blood comes out of your pores. The way we see this usually is somebody who's screaming so much and exerting so much energy through their face that they just start to bleed. But that's what's happening to Jesus. He's to, I mean, imagine what you'd have to do to get to that point, right? I'm guessing that many of us have never seen that or experienced it. But this is the state that Jesus is in. He's in that much agony and that much frustration and sadness, and he's feeling so much. And the question is, why? Why at this moment is Jesus feeling so much of this? Well, as you read and kind of study different opinions on this passage, one thing that kind of comes up, is this idea that the father actually turned his face away in this moment. See, normally we think about that as something that happened on the cross. Normally we think about when Jesus looks to the sky and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We think of that as the moment where God actually turns away from Jesus because he sees all the sin of man just placed upon him. But Jesus' reaction in this moment seems to mean that that separation from God or that turning away of God actually happened here in this moment. 
And so for the first time, like I said, Jesus went to be with his father many times throughout the Gospels and and to just rest and connect with him. And this is the first time where Jesus comes to do that and his father has turned away from him. And he's not there to interact with Jesus the way he had been before. And so not only has God turned away, but the disciples can't stay awake. And this is one of the only times in in the Gospels that we see Jesus actually turn to the disciples for comfort and care. Right? He takes them with him and he says, will you pray for me? Right? Will you just stay here with me? Will you not walk away? Will you just be here with me as I'm going through this and pray for me? And even the disciples can't do that. You know, we know this to be true. If you're, if you're going through a situation that is as frustrating, as, as difficult as what Jesus is going through or, or in your own context, it's so much better to have somebody around you who can go through this with you. And yet Jesus finds himself in a situation where that doesn't seem to be the case. And I want to point out three things that we can understand from Jesus' time here in the garden. Three things that he's feeling. First of all, he's feeling this sense of loneliness. Because no one can help or understand. Think about it. No one has ever been fully God and fully man before. No one has ever taken on the task of needing to put literally the sins of everyone on himself and die for those people. No one has done that. And we just talked about the fact that the Father has turned away. The disciples can't be with him. I mean, like we just talked about, there there are times when if there's somebody else that's there with you, it can at least make it feel a little bit better. We have a call every week with a few pastors from the area. And what we do every Thursday morning is we just connect with one another We talk about how things are going. We pray for one another, all that great. And it's a great time. And and one of the things that happened this week was one of the other guys on the call, he said his daughter has to have some um, things done with her heart. Her heart has a a rhythm that's not correct, and so they have to adjust that. And so he was talking about that and just talking about wanting prayer for that. And one of the other pastors on the call said, hey, hey man, I I just want to say I went through that exact same thing last year. He said the procedure is not as bad as you might think. It was pretty painless, and it worked really well. He said, I don't think you have anything to worry about. And in that moment, the other pastor, whose daughter is going to have to go through this, right? When your daughter has to have something done with her heart, that can be a little bit worrisome. He said, you know, that's awesome. Thank you for saying that. It makes me feel so much better, right? Just to know someone else has walked through it. Just to know someone else is there with you. Just to know someone else is going to help you if you need it. And yet in this moment, Jesus can't have that. There's no one he can call. There's no one he can run to. There's no one who can fix it. There's no one who can say it's going to be okay. And in his humanity in this moment, he feels this extreme sense of loneliness. The second thing is this. He feels rejection. Not only has the father turned his face away, But the people that he came to save are literally in the process of condemning him, putting him on trial, and leading him to a cross. And so Jesus is stuck in this middle, right? 100% God, 100% man. The Father has turned his face away from him, and he can't connect with him the way he wants to. And everybody around him is getting ready to reject him. 
And if we read a little further, we're not going to get there today, but if you want to read the story yourself, you'll also see that after Jesus is arrested, all the disciples desert him. They don't go with him. They run away. And so he gets this sense, this immediate sense of rejection as well. And then the last thing is he feels a sense of abandonment. And this may be the very first time where Jesus prays and he doesn't get an answer to his prayer. He went to God and he said, hey, if this cup can go, if I cannot experience this, can we hand this over to somebody else? Is there another way that this can happen? Is there another way for us to work this out other than you needing to turn your face away from me and me needing to go through a terrible death in the next 24 hours? If there's another way to do it, can we plan that instead? And there's no answer that we know of given from God. And so the answer is no. The answer is this is where we have to go. This is what we have to do. And and the next 24 hours is very clear for Jesus. He's going to walk through the next 24 hours by himself to one of the worst deaths you could imagine. All for people who are going to nail him and execute him on the cross the next day. My question is, have you been there? Not exactly that same place, right? But have you been lonely? Have you felt rejected? Have you felt abandoned? Have you lost someone? Has someone looked at you and maybe you were really good friends with them and they just decided they didn't want anything to do with you anymore? Has there, has there been a time where you felt any of these three things as, as so deeply? I think we've all felt them at some point in life. And some of us even more so than others. So what I want us to see is, is when we get to these points, when we have these types of feelings, the reason Jesus came as a man is so that we could look at him and say, I'm feeling this way and I know you felt it too. See, there's no other God that we could follow. There's no other God we could worship or give our lives to who's done the same thing. It's The story of Jesus is completely different than any other scenario. There are other stories of deities that became humans. Right? Think of Hercules. There are other stories of deities that have showed up on earth. But there is no deity that literally goes through the complete, like almost the worst human experience you could ever go through simply to understand what we go through as humans and then offer the, his life for us. No, no other God on the planet that's ever been thought of has done that. That's why the story of Jesus is so different. And that's why when we get to a point where these are our struggles and we feel these things so real, we can cry out to Jesus and say, help me, because of the things that we feel. And we know that he's understood them too. Now, you might be sitting here listening or listening later or watching online and thinking, yeah, that sounds great, Corey, but like when I'm really super lonely and sitting in my room and there's no one else around and I just feel the sense of abandonment, me just praying to someone who's not there with me or can't, I can't physically have a conversation with, that's not very helpful. And I would argue, I think it's helpful. I think having that conversation with God is extremely helpful and understanding that Jesus is there and he's experienced the same thing as you. But here's the other thing I would say. When you become a follower of Jesus, there are other followers of Jesus who can be with you through these times. See, the disciples were a terrible example in this moment. Doesn't mean we can't learn from them. They were much better after they saw Jesus rise from the dead. But when we know other followers of Jesus, we can call on them and say, hey, 
I'm feeling lonely, rejected, abandoned, whatever it might be. And we can rally around to one another. And hopefully we are the types of followers of Jesus that when someone calls us and that's the situation, we're willing to step into that moment and say, I'll be for you what the disciples were not for Jesus. I'll walk with you through that time. You see, when we become followers of Jesus, we have this biblical community around us that will help us in these areas because we understand we're on the same page. We, we know what Jesus did for us as well. You know, Gethsemane is actually, you break that down, the name Gethsemane actually means the oil press. And that's what Jesus felt while he was in the garden. He was pressed. Every, he was being wrung out. Like energy, emotions, everything was being taken out of him. And when we get to those places where there's a time where you're like, man, I am I'm being pressed, we can look back to this story and understand that Jesus felt the same thing. And why did he do that? Jesus walked alone, so we never have to. See, this is a microcosm. When, when God looked away from Jesus and turned his back on Jesus because he was seeing all of our sin on Jesus, that was a microcosm of what we would experience if we step out of this life and we don't know Jesus. The reality is if what the Bible teaches, right, is that if we don't know Jesus when we move on from this life, we will experience complete and total separation from God. Jesus felt some of that in this moment. And he walked through that and understood that feeling, understood that reality, so that he could die and he could move us to the point where we never have to feel that if we simply decide to follow him. And so when we make that decision, we never have to be alone. It doesn't mean right, that when we decide to follow Jesus, everything gets easy. That's not what this means. But it does mean that we have a Savior who walks through it with us. And for Jesus, the next 24 hours, even though they were going to be excruciating, when you understand eternity, 24 hours is a very small amount of time to give up. And he was much more worried about our eternity than he was about the next 24 hours that he was going to walk through. Now let's jump down a little further. We're going to pick up where we left off in Matthew 26. We're going to start in verse 47. So remember, he just told the disciples, right? Here comes the person, here comes Judas, and he's going to betray me. It says, and even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him a kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. Let's, let's pause for a minute. That verse is incredible to me. Because Jesus knew what Judas was doing. The path had already been paid, right? Judas had already betrayed him. The mob is there to take him. And how does Judas, or sorry, how does Jesus address Judas? My friend. He wasn't being sarcastic. He was letting Judas know that even though you've done this to me, I still love you. There's still time for you. I don't condemn you. It's not over, right? I have not cut you off from me. 
And yet he still called. There's another sermon I could preach there, but we need to keep going. Okay, so verse 51. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us? And he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? See, I believe in this conversation, in this passage, Jesus is is teaching us something that the men in this passage, the, the people in this passage did not understand. You see, they show up, right? They come to arrest Jesus. How do they show up? With clubs and swords. It's like Beauty and the Beast when they're storming the castle, right? They're like ready. They're, they're ready for battle. In, one of the, in, another, um, in another one of the Gospels, Jesus looks at them and goes, what do you think I am, a revolutionary? Like we're going to fight you? Now maybe they knew Peter had a sword. This is Peter, by the way. We learned that from another account. He chops off a guy's ear. And if you read on about that, right, Jesus p- picks up the guy's ear and puts it back on his head. It's kind of crazy. It's just like a small detail. Like, by the way, Jesus did this, right? And so they, they come, how? They come flexing their muscles. They come with power to take down Jesus, to arrest him, to take him to his death. And Peter responds in turn, right? He pulls this, he responds by flexing his muscles. See, what, what Peter thought is that he and Jesus were on the same side. Peter thought, if I can just stick up for Jesus, if Jesus and I can battle this out together, we will take these guys down. And everyone around Jesus at this moment thought power was the way to get this done. But what what Peter didn't understand was that he needed Jesus to die for them to be on the same side. See, it wasn't power. And Jesus even says to Peter, if I wanted to, I could snap my fingers and have thousands of angels. Just as a side note, as I was listening to another pastor preach on this same passage, he said, it takes, by the way, four angels to destroy the world in Revelation. And yet Jesus could have thousands there. Like the firepower is unimaginable. He says, that's not the answer. That's not what we need. That's not what we are called to do in this moment. And I believe what Jesus is teaching us is that love is greater than power. The love that Jesus was showing in this passage for Judas, for Peter, for those that were coming to arrest him, for those that would nail him to the tree the next day, that was so much more powerful than Jesus showing up with thousands of angels, right? How did Jesus show up on the earth? Born and put into a manger. Now, there were some cool stars happening right at that moment to show that he had arrived. But nothing if you had passed by him would have said, this man has incredible power. He did everything out of love. There's a missionary story, maybe you've heard it, about a guy named Jim Elliott and another guy named Nate Saint. And back in the 50s, they were working hard to be missionaries to a hostile tribe in Ecuador. And they had known for a while that this tribe was hostile, like it was dangerous to make contact with them. And so this was a very tricky situation for them to kind of go and minister to them because they knew they were taking their lives in their hands. This wasn't going to your neighbor down the street and knocking on their door. And so they had actually made contact with this tribe before, and it actually went well. 
And so they backed up and they kind of recalibrated and they came in another time. And the second time that they got there on the beach, they were attacked by the men and they were killed. And so they go down as a story of martyrs, right? It's one of the best known martyr stories in the last century. But there's a few details about that story that don't always get told. And one of the things that doesn't always get talked about is when they found the men, they actually had loaded weapons on them. So think back, okay, so then why? Why would they have loaded weapons and not fight back? You know, about a month ago, we had a conversation and I said, we need to start moving our choices that we make each day to eternally focused decisions. And when they found the diaries and the journals of these men, what they realized was they had had a conversation previously and they had decided they would never kill one of these men. And the reason was because they knew if they died, they were going to heaven. If they killed the men that were trying to kill them, they were sentencing them to an eternity separated from the God they were trying to introduce them to. And so they decided, no matter what happens, we're not killing these men. Would have been very easy for them to show up like Peter. They started to attack. They pull out one of the guns. Even if they shot one of the men, it could have changed the tide of the whole situation because they had better firepower than the, than the tribe they were trying to reach. And yet they recognized that love is greater than power. The story goes on a little further, and the wives and children of these men decided to continue trying to reach this tribe. The man who killed Nate Saint, one of the five men, was then ministered to by Nate Saint's son and came to know Jesus and became kind of their adopted dad and grandfather. Now, if Nate pulls out his gun and shoots that man, he never comes to know Jesus. But because of what they decided to do ahead of time, not to take someone else's life, but to give up theirs for them, they came to know Jesus. Now, we may never find ourselves on a beach somewhere like that. But the question is, how do we have that attitude towards others? It's the same attitude that Jesus had towards his accusers. It's the same attitude Jesus had towards those who were getting to arrest and kill him. He would rather give up his life, not show his power, because he knew it was better for them to know Jesus, to know him, to come into a relationship with him. And the same is true for us. You know, what's difficult sometimes is for us to understand that our power isn't enough. And I think the reason that that happens is because we actually recognize how weak we can be. And so when we do have power or when we have that opportunity to build our power or influence or wealth or whatever it is, that becomes our goal because we recognize we can leverage that above others or above situations or whatever it might be, right? Take my weakness and make it stronger. But again, we go back to this conversation of Jesus is different than any other deity that's ever been talked about on the planet. And what we have to understand is salvation is not something we can achieve. It's something we must receive. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing that we can do to move ourselves closer to Jesus. We had to have Jesus in this moment 
take this on. And that's why he did it. That's why he was willing to walk alone, right? So that we would never have to. John 15, 13 says this, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Can I say something like really obvious, but I just want us to be able to understand it today? No one has loved better than Jesus. No one has. No one will ever love you better. Right? You might think, I've got a great wife or a great girlfriend, a great boyfriend. Nope, not even close. My mom and dad really, not even close. Nobody has loved us better than Jesus. No one has overcome that opposition the way Jesus has and given up more for us than Jesus has. You know, each week we've said we're going to wrap up our conversation with a phrase that is, Jesus instead of me means, and then we'll fill in the blank. And so this week, that phrase is, Jesus instead of me means loving the way that Jesus loves. Jesus instead of me means loving the way that Jesus loves. Now, we just talked for a half hour about how impossible that is, <laughs> right? So you're like, how, how in the world? Well, let me help us understand a little bit how we can kind of take steps towards this, right? Let's go back to John 15, 13, and look at that one more time. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Here what, here's what I want us to understand. If there's no greater love than laying down your life for someone else, that means everything else you could do for someone else is on the table. That means anything else that you could put in that blank instead of life is possible and we are called to do. So it could be laying down one's anger to love someone else. It could mean laying down our opinions to love someone else. It could mean laying down our time or our opportunities to love someone else. It could mean laying down our preferences to love someone else. All of those things are on the table and all of those things are things that Jesus was willing to do for us. So the question for us today is what do I need to lay down to love better? And this is where we, like, I can't tell you what this is. I mean, we could have a conversation and maybe I could help that, but like, we all have to figure this out for ourselves. What do we need to lay down in order to love better? I think we can understand this at kind of a macro level where maybe there's something we're dealing with or we're doing right now that needs to change, and so I, you need to lay down something or a little better. But some of this just needs to be a daily conversation or a daily thought process with yourself. And in moments, right, we realize I'm holding on to something that is making me an unloving person. I'm holding on to my anger right now. That's making me an unloving person. Holding on to my opinions right now. That's making me an unloving person. And so in order to love the other person, I have to lay that down. And why? Because Jesus did it for us. And here's what I know is true. You and I will never get to the point where we can look at someone else and say, if you did that, Jesus wouldn't love you. That will never be the case. Because there was nothing that anyone else could do to cause Jesus not to love them. Even to the last minute, right? Even with Judas, he said, my friend loved him, even though he was going to turn him over to be killed. When we choose this, when we choose to love someone else, we lay it down in order to love them better. It's saying Jesus instead of me. If we say me instead of Jesus, we, we are able to hold on to whatever we want and hold, it on, 
hold it over someone else's head and keep us from loving that person. But when we say, Jesus, instead of me, we're willing to lay down those things that keep us from loving others so that we look more like Jesus. Let's pray as we wrap up our time this morning. Lord, as we walk through this story uh, each week, we thank you for the sacrifices that you made for us. And as we kind of get a chance today in Matthew 26 to kind of peer into what you were going through in the garden and as you walk towards the cross, we thank you that you walked alone through that so that we don't need to. We ask that we would reflect that love to other people. That you would make it obvious to us when we need to lay something down in order to love someone better. Whether that person is in our family, they're a coworker, they're a classmate, they're a teammate, they're whatever they are. That we would not hold things over their heads or, or hold things against them and not love them because we know you would never do the same. And you showed us that. We pray that we would be a body of believers that cares for one another and cares for our community the way that you would call us to. We thank you that you've given us that opportunity and that mission as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.